Section seven of Stories from the Detectives Album by Wife Wanda, also known as Mary Fortune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. The Bell of Mount Battery. One of the darkest nights of late autumn had closed around the shadowy skirt of Mount Battery, and muttering thunder growls in the clouded west told of a coming storm. It was barely eight o'clock but the darkness was almost inky under the mount between the heavy shadow of the timber and the storm-curtained sky and there was not a sign of life visible from mount battery to corumba nevertheless there was life not far off in the very heart of the mountain as it were and at such an elevation above the surrounding heavily timbered country that it was visible in the daylight as an outspread map beneath them four men occupied a cave-like apartment which was on the night i introduced its occupants cheerful with light and warmth. These four men were a band of bushrangers long known in New South Wales as Tempest's Gang, and under their own chosen soubriquets of Tempest, Rain, Snow and Sunshine. Tempest was the leader, a tall dark man of thirty-eight or nine, with bent brows and a stern expression of countenance. He sat at the rude table with some papers spread before him on it, and the huge shaded lamp drawn close to them, so that the shadow rested on his face the light on the papers. One slender but sinewy hand rested on the documents, the other on his knee, and on the latter was a slender gold ring that was almost hidden in the brown finger it encircled. At the great fire which burned in an angle of the rookie cave, two others of the gang were seated. One, a rosy-faced, smiling youth of less than twenty, with curling chestnut hair and sunny blue eyes, was busy cleaning a bright-barrelled fowling-piece. As he worked, he sang or whistled snatches of songs and breakdown dances, and his very feet seemed anxious to keep time to the music of his own laughing lips. The dress of this young man was of a very dandyish complexion. His riding boots fitted a small foot like wax, his breeches were white as snow, his Crimean shirt was of the finest texture, the loose collar falling over a carelessly tied and brilliantly coloured necktie. This was sunshine and he carried the light of his name in his young heart and on his rosy laughing lips the other man who enjoyed the warmth and the blazing and cracking fire was snow a quiet-looking man of twenty-eight with his hat low over his forehead and a face under its shadow inscrutable not to say stony in its expressionless calm it was a handsome face too with dark eyes lighting it up and a heavy moustache and beard shading it but it was rarely that Snow let anyone see how large and bright and intelligent his dark eyes were, and, as for talking, the almost continual pipe in his mouth was a ready excuse against an indulgence he rarely permitted himself. Rain was tall and slender and fair, the very youngest of the gang. He could not have been more than sixteen years. The lad looked sensitive and depressed, and, I might add, in such a delicate state of health that it was no wonder he had, from the first, chosen the place of cook and hut-keeper to the band instead of a more active place in the exploits of his mates many days and hours he spent alone in the mountain cave or wandering about the almost inaccessible upper heights of mount battery once when volatile sunshine came on him suddenly as he was standing on a rock and looking toward the distant hills of quarumba he saw tears in the boy's eyes and there and then christened him rain to complete the quartet headed by their leader tempest this youth was busily engaged in putting away the supper dishes on the evening in question but he did it with the languid air habitual to him all at once tempest lifted his head and looked toward the others 
Boys, I have something very particular to say to you tonight. Will you all come and sit down at the table? Sunshine jumped to his feet, and with his big eyes open wide in surprise and expectation, hastened to the table and sat down opposite his leader. "'It's the Corumba coach. I know it is,' he cried. "'Hurry, Tempest, or we'll be late. It's such a glorious night for it, too. Hark to the thunder!' Rain turned and looked toward Tempest half-fearfully, yet doubting if he was included in the request of the leader. But Tempest beckoned to him and pointed to a seat close beside his own. So the youth moved silently and listlessly, and sat down in the indicated seat. Snow coolly and silently knocked the ashes from his pipe, put it in his pocket, and, with deliberation, walked toward the table to complete the number four. Tempest shook his head at Sunshine's suggestion, and a faint smile gleamed in his swarthy face for a moment. Sunshine was notably the leader's favourite, and could take greater liberties with him than any other member of the band would have ventured on. "'You are wrong, Sunshine. My business tonight is of a very different nature.' And then he ceased to speak for a little. Rain sat and stared dreamily at Tempest. Snow crossed his arms on the table before him, and looked down on the strong hands beneath his eyes. "'I have been living ten years under Mount Battery,' Tempest went on, "'and it seems to me scarce so many months. Has the time appeared long to you, Rain?' Rain flushed up, and again grew pale, as he stammered, so long that I have a thousand times in every year wished I was dead. A fierce gleam burned for an instant in Tempest's eyes, and a sneer curled his lips. And you, Sunshine? How has time sped with you? Oh, jolly! Sometimes, you know, I long for the sea and a ship again, but when we make a raid I enjoy it so much that I forget everything else. But you know, Tempest, we have been here barely three years. Yes, I know it. It seems but yesterday since I met you in snow, nearly barefooted and very hungry, tramping you knew not where, when I offered you shelter and employment. You accepted both. Have you regretted it, Snow? Bitterly, replied the man called Snow, and he spoke calmly without raising his eyes. But having accepted your offer, I have tried to do my duty by the gang. And you have done it, Tempest replied warmly. I think I have. But now that the subject is fairly opened up between us, I will say something I fully intended to say before many days elapsed. I am tired of this life, Tempest, and want to give it up. From something you said months ago, I guessed as much, the leader answered as Snow lifted his calm eyes and fixed them steadily on his. And tonight is the result of that guess. Boys, it is my wish to break up the band. Sunshine dropped the fowling piece he still held in both hands to the table and started to his feet with an exclamation, and then he sat down again and stared at Snow, who was about to speak. "'I am glad to hear it,' was his reply to Tempest. "'We have been faithful to each other as outlaws. We can be faithful to each other as free men.' Tempest compressed his lips for only an instant. Something in the words did not please him. "'I can trust you all,' he replied. But his eyes fell unpleasantly on Rain, whose eyes were fixed upon him, and whose lips were trembling like a girl's. I have only one request to make, that is, that you keep the secret of our hiding place. In vain the police have attempted to track us to our citadel in Mount Battery. It is unknown to all, save ourselves. I may return here alone, boys, if the world I have left again turned its back upon me as it did once before. I shall go back to sea, Snow said quietly. I did wrong when I left my ship, and still worse when I enticed this lad with me. 
The speaker turned and laid his hard hand on Sunshine's soft, beringed fingers. What an accusation his dead mother could make against me this day! What could his living father say of his degraded name? No one knows my name, Sunshine said warmly, yet with a blush, or yours, or Tempest's, or Rain's. We do not know even each other's names. But what harm if everybody did? We have done no murder, and no man or woman wrong. We have stuck up escorts and mails, eh? Well, what about governments? If they behaved as they ought to do, there would be no bushrangers. Snow shook his head again at the illogical pleading, but remained silent. Sunshine, said Tempest, gazing with softened eyes at the youthful bushranger. We are all pretty well off, but my share is the greatest of our gains. I shall be alone in the world. Will you cast your lot with mine, and be a son to me in some other land than this? I have a father of my own. The youth replied, in a low, hesitating tone, while his young face grew pale with emotion. "'I shall go with Snow. He will tell me what to do.' Snow grasped Sunshine's hand, and pressed it warmly. "'Aye, lad, the sight of thy face will make one old English home glad as heaven.' And he rose to his feet. "'Stay!' cried Tempest, turning angrily from Sunshine. "'We have yet to divide our stock and ascertain the intentions of our fourth member.' "'As far as I am concerned, there will be no division of spoil,' Snow returned firmly. "'I will take as much as will ship me safely, no more. "'You may do with my share what you please, and I think Sunshine will say the same.' "'What for?' cried the boy. "'Haven't we earned it lawfully?' And then the youth laughed merrily at his own words. "'Never mind, Snow. I don't want the money if you think it would bring no luck.' And he also rose to his feet. "'You have found consciences at a late hour,' Tempest said, with sarcastic emphasis. "'But be that as you will. Rain, what shall you do when the gang is broken up? You are too young to take the world on your own shoulders. Will you come with me as Sunshine has refused?' "'Yes, if you will take me home,' the lad cried wildly as he got up from his stool and looked unflinchingly in Tempest's face. "'Take you home? How should I know where your home is, boy?' I have told you often that I found you ten years ago sitting on the road between the Mount and Corumba, and you said the coach had left you. Yes, you told me all that, but you told me a lie, the boy said with such a strange fierceness for him, that both Snow and Sunshine stared wonderingly at him. I was only six years old when you brought me here, but I remember more than you think, and if you do not tell me where my home is, I shall find it in spite of you. Do you think I do not remember my mother and a sister whom you remember too? A pale rage grew stony in Tempest's face, and it was then, when his lips were drawn back from his white teeth, and his eyes flashed fire, that you recognised the fierce, untamable nature of the man. Ungrateful lying cur that you are, he cried. If I struck you dead at my feet, you would only get your deserts. For ten years you have lived in clover, and from the proceeds of a danger you dared not share, and now you turn on me with a lie on your lips to repay me. It is no lie, and you know it. You know my home, and you have had your own bad reasons for keeping me hidden here all these years. Keep your hands off me. There is blood on them. If a visitant from the grave had stood in the lad's place, and looked at the leader of the gang with accusing eyes flashing from skeleton orbits, Tempest could not have drawn back with more unfeigned horror. It was but momentary, however, as an intenser anger than before usurped its place with an accession of blood to his hot forehead. 
he made a stride toward the young man whose face was pale as death and would have struck him to the ground had snow not quickly placed himself between them not while i am here tempest snow said quietly we are about to part let it be in peace besides a man would be ashamed to lift his arm against a weak boy like him tempest glared at the speaker for a moment as though he meditated letting the blow fall on him then with a muttered oath he turned suddenly and disappeared behind a curtain of sacking in the side of the cave it was his own sleeping place and when he emerged from it the bushranger carried a heavy bag in his hand placing this upon the table he untied the string and its mouth with trembling fingers and emptied the gold contents upon the table the youth known as rain stood and watched the glittering coin like one entranced snow turned to the fire again while sunshine followed him to lean his back against the wall carefully and watch at a distance the movements of the leader tempest was dealing the sovereigns out as though they had been cards and as he added one and one to each four little golden heaps grew momentarily larger on the rough board there he said sternly as he rose and tossed the canvas bag to the floor there is every man's share duly counted he who doubts it can count for himself this is mine and this mine cried the lad rain as he swept the nearest heap to him from the table into his coat pocket if i did not earn it in the saddle i did it in suffering and every shilling of it will help me to find out my own home and your secret bushranger tempest what the leader would have said or done under this fresh attack from the excited youth it is impossible now to say for at that moment broke upon their startled ears the great boom of an iron bell it sounded so close to them that the rocky walls of the cave reverberated to its heavy toll yet it was heard and had often been heard before for many miles around the skirts of mount battery as suddenly as it had tolled it ceased tempest turned toward the sound and listened while sunshine darted to a small opening in the rock and drawing back a shutter looked out as he did so another sound penetrated the cave the sound of the low muttering thunder of a rising storm it is dark as pitch the boy said whoever can it be on such a night as this some one who knows the mound well surely shall i go down tempest no i will go myself the leader replied as he lit the candle and a lantern and went up a sort of rude staircase in the rock at a corner of the cave he soon disappeared behind the stonework and the others sat down and resumed their usual occupations tempest emerged into the open air on a rocky plateau some hundreds of feet above the level of Corumba, and he was met by wild blasts of wind that carried sharp cold rain into his face and nearly succeeded in extinguishing his light having secured his lantern under his coat however he descended by a tortuous and impeded path which ten years had made as familiar to him in darkness as in light and in a few moments stood at a sheer face of rock where a dark shrouded figure was dimly visible against the lighter coloured face of the rock who is it the bushranger asked as he threw the light of his lantern on the silent figure good heavens marjorie is this you yes said the woman you told me to come and i have come but how in the storm and darkness how did you find the bell of mount battery hark he added as a fresh blast and a peal of thunder seemed to shake the rocks it was madness for you to come here such a night as this what is it marjorie it must be something pressing what is it you told me your secret ten years ago ralph the woman said sadly and i promised to come when anything particular took place in one home 
How often have I been here? she asked. Five times, Tempest replied anxiously. Yes, five times. Once when he died, Ralph. Again when the news came over the sea. And three times to warn you of treachery. I have come the sixth time to-night to tell you that she is dying, and is asking for you day and night. For me? Aye, for you. The dying see clear. She knows I could summon you, though no mortal lips have told her. In the flickering wind-blown light the face of Tempest gleamed white as the face of a stricken man. For a second he clutched his brow with one convulsive hand and leaned against the damp rock. Then he took the woman's hand and spoke. "'You cannot go back alone. You must wait for me. I will go back with you. Come, follow me. You cannot stay here in the storm.' "'But your mates—' "'They will not mind. We are about to disband.' "'Thank God!' the woman muttered with fervency as she allowed him to lead her up the path he had just ascended. In a short space of time they stood in the cave, and the three occupants of that subterraneous dwelling were staring at her wonderingly. "'This is my foster-mother,' Tempest said, addressing the others. "'You may trust her. She has known of my calling and the bell for ten years, and would not harm me if her own life was the forfeit.' "'No,' she echoed though I would have given my life twice over to have saved the babe I nursed at my breast from leading as a man such a life as this. "'Tush!' cried Tempest angrily. "'Move away from the fire, boys, and let her sit down while I get ready. I must go down to Quarumba with her.' The woman sat down and let her shawl drop from her grey head. She was a woman of about fifty, strong-looking and stern-faced, with thin, close-pressed lips and dark, deep-set eyes. She was comfortably attired, and the raindrops on her thick shawl glimmered in the lamplight as she sat. Her eyes wandered to and fro curiously, and first rested on the happy-looking face of young Sunshine, who, with natural politeness, had resumed the cleaning of his gun to avoid the appearance of watching the stranger. Not so rain. He was at the opposite side of the fireplace, and did not move when Tempest spoke. His face was half in shade and half in light the fire gleaming up at times and brightening the pale young countenance with unnatural warmth. His eyes were fixed on the woman Tempest had called Marjorie, fixed with an intensity of puzzled thought on the worn face, surrounded with the plain cap border that rested on the plain bands of the woman's grey locks. As Rain gazed thus, Marjorie's eyes met his, and the woman started as though she had been struck. Her dark orbs gleamed like lamps, and her fingers clutched her shawl, one quick look she cast toward the place where the leader of the gang had disappeared, and then her hand slipped from her pocket a bit of paper. "'Why do you look at me so?' the boy whispered eagerly, as he bent his pale face near her. "'Do you know me?' "'If you are he whom I think you are,' she answered in a low tone, "'the Lord of Heaven be praised. How long have you known Tempest?' Ten years.' "'Hush! Here he comes. We shall soon meet again.' and she thrust the paper into the boy's ready fingers. The paper was only an envelope, with Marjorie Cotton, the lodge, Corumba, written upon it, and was evidently the discarded cover of an old letter. When the storm broke that night on Corumba, a light in the drawing-room window of the lodge struggled out into the darkness through the interstices of the warm crimson curtains that fell over it. Inside was every luxury in the shape of furniture, and there were two living inmates of the room. On a couch, drawn near the fire, was a young lady, so fair and fragile and helpless-looking, that it scarcely needed her many pillows and wraps and recumbent posture to tell of her invalided state. Her hair was black, 
and waving loosely over her broad forehead, made a strong contrast with the pallid hue of a most perfect countenance, and the eyes, that shone with an almost unearthly brightness, were so deeply sunk in the blue-circled orbit, that one could easily tell how long had been the illness which had thus brought Ina Vivian to the very border of the grave. Close to her, and opposite, so that she could gaze in the dying girl's face, sat a lady already in the deepest mourning, and with a close widow's cap over grey bands of hair. She was white, almost as the invalid, and a stern sorrow had settled in her worn face. Her eyes remained fixed on her child's face, but they were dry. Tears were an almost forgotten luxury to Mrs. Vivian. "'Hark to the thunder, mother! Oh, I wonder where he will lay his outlawed head this wild night!' Ina said as she laid her thin hand on her mother's. "'That you should still grieve for that ingrate,' cried the unhappy mother with bitterness, "'that his sins against us and the roof that sheltered him from infancy should not have turned your thoughts as well as your heart from him in this supreme moment of sorrow for me. If he had been innocent, I might have forgotten him, mother. But what could I do save pray for the guilty all those sad, sad years? Hark! There is the bell of Mount Battery. What can it be, mother? What can it mean?' She rose weakly on her elbow and turned toward the window to listen. The deep boom of the mountain bell, as it rang to Marjorie's touch on her visit to Tempest, was floating in on the growing blast. One, two, three, one, two, three, and then it ceased. Mother, tell me what you think it is. You know, my Ina, that people have listened for it many times during ten years, yet heard it seldom. There are those who tell of the supernatural under the shadow of Mount Battery but though strict search has been made for the hidden bell, you know it has never been found, though many believe its tongue to be a mouthpiece for the bushrangers. Don't trouble yourself about it, my love. It has ceased. Lie down again and calm yourself. I have not many days to live, said the poor girl as she fell back with a heavy sigh, but I would give them for one hour with our lost Ralph. Ina! It is true, mother. You would not have a dying child of yours lie. At his door lies my father's death, but he has a son yet to give you, to comfort you when I am gone, and God might touch his heart through my lips, weak as they are. Oh, mother, do not weep, it will break my heart. For the poor woman had laid her white face on the end of the couch and was sobbing convulsively. It will do me good, my Ina, I have not wept since he died, but, ah, what foolish hopes you are entertaining. Did not Ralph slay the son as he had slain the father? I feel sure my brother lives, Ina replied softly. When Ralph came and told that story of the overset boat, and poor Alroy being drowned, I knew that he was not telling the truth, though he laid Ally's wet hat in your lap. I saw the falsehood in his face. Ah, I knew that face so well, mother. He stole our Alroy to be avenged on us for my sake. Alroy lives, I am sure of it and somehow I feel that he hears the bell of Mount Battery every time it tolls. "'God grant it be as you say,' the mother returned. "'But you must rest, Ina, my child. Be still and rest.' Ina closed her eyes and fell asleep, with a happy smile around her pale lips, a smile that brightened as she slept, for she dreamt that her lost brother came home, carrying in his arms the hidden bell of Mount Battery that rang joyously as he laid it at his mother's feet. The dying girl slept long and soundly, 
and her mother thought her own sad thoughts without a movement, fearing to arouse her from so sweet a rest. The fire had fallen to a mass of red embers, but she would not move to replenish it, and when, at length, the door opposite to her was softly opened, she raised her slender white hand with a hush of warning, believing it to be the privileged Marjorie. It was not Marjorie, however, for the tall figure of a bearded man, muffled in a heavy cloak, stepped in and closed the door behind him. The idea of bushrangers was the first that suggested itself to Mrs. Vivian. They were reputed to have haunted the fastnesses of Mount Battery for years, though their exploits of robbery had been performed many miles away. But Mrs. Vivian was not afraid, save for the helpless girl who slept unconscious of her danger. She rose noiselessly and went to meet the cloaked man, her steps falling soundless on the thick carpet. If you are come on any evil errand, I pray you do not disturb my child. She will not be spared to me many days now, she pleaded in a low voice. I am not come on an evil errand, Mrs. Vivian. Do you not recognize me? The cloak was permitted to drop from the lower part of his face, and Tempest, the bushranger, stood revealed before the widow. She drew back and raised a hand between her and the hateful sight. How dare you come here, Ralph Vivian? How dare you venture under the roof which sheltered you, and which you have bereaved? Father and son, your wicked hands have cost me, and now my daughter is going, the last victim to your selfishness and pride. Go, ere I curse you. An inexplicable pain shadowed the dark countenance of the outlaw as his eyes fell upon the face of the sleeping Ina, and his voice was strangely soft as he replied, You are hard on me, but I can excuse that. Have you forgotten that the blow which betrayed you, and made me a murderer in the sight of heaven, made me a homeless man of blood, and a friendless outlaw? Never friendless, Ralph, my cousin. I have always prayed for you. God has answered my prayer in sending you here. It was Ina who spoke. She had opened her eyes suddenly, awake as by intuition, when her wish was accomplished. Ralph rushed forward and knelt by her side. I came to see you, Ina. They told me you were dying. Oh, say that it is not true. It is true, Ralph, and I do not regret it. What has my life been but a long scene of pain and grief? Through me, he gasped with a groan, as he buried his face in his hand to shut out the sight of the death-like shadow in the face beneath him. Alas, yes, my cousin, all through you. Not a voice has been lifted in your defence, not even mine for how dare I plead for the hand that struck my darling father to death? Do not forget the provocation, Ina, he pleaded, once more lifting his eyes to hers, or that I did not mean to kill him. You know it maddened me to be denied you, whom I had loved from very boyhood, and to be called a gambler and a liar by the man in whose care a loving mother had left me when she died. Besides, Ina, my uncle struck me. I blush to own it, even now. Before I lifted my hand, struck me in the face. We were man to man. That was all I remembered as I returned it. I know all that, Ralph, but your blow cost me a parent, and made mother a helpless and broken-hearted widow. Yet you have done us a greater wrong than even that, Ralph. How? But as he asked the question, the cold, dark eyes refused to meet those of the dying girl. Your own conscience accuses you. What need is there for me to speak? It is for this I have prayed to see you, and for heaven to soften your hard heart towards yourself and us. Ralph, my cousin, what have you done with my brother Alroy? 
in her eagerness ina raised herself on her thin arms and anxiously watched the changing face of tempest the bushranger i know he is not dead i have felt it for years oh ralph was it not enough that you should avenge yourself by murder without taking from my mother her last child not her last ina you and the strong voice faltered as the hard heart felt one impress of remorse i am dying she interrupted and mother will be alone and you have half acknowledged the truth with that plea oh ralph if you are not utterly lost as you will meet death one day and hope for mercy yourself be merciful to us and give mother back her son the sight of her nephew is so unbearable to your mother that she has gone he said coldly as he rose to his feet if it was possible that your dead brother lived how could she endure the sight of one who had breathed the same air and shared the same roof as the man she falsely calls a murderer falsely ralph yes falsely even a cruel law does not brand a man as a murderer who returns one blow with another i might have been arraigned for manslaughter had my blow stricken your father dead but it did not he lay in his bed for weeks yet you say i killed him he forgave me but your mother with a vindictive cruelty that ought to have been bosomed in a savage hunted me with hounds of the law until i had to make my home in the wilds and forego the faces of my fellow-men if i could by lifting this right hand bring her a dozen sons and daughters i would rather it withered than raise one finger the dying girl fell back on her pillows with a weak sigh of bitter disappointment and as the bushranger's arm was raised in the fierce declaration i have written down the mysterious bell of mount battery boomed out once more on the stormy night air of all the hundreds who heard it around the mountain there was not one did so without a start of surprise or terror and at its toll the arm of tempest fell to his side while an expression of listening surprise usurped the place of rage and determination in his face farewell ina i must go he said as he bent once more and took the thin fingers in his farewell grasp with you goes the last tie that yet binds me to life farewell for ever ralph may heaven grant you a change of heart and purpose ere you look on the face of death as closely as i do now see he said there is the little ring you gave me fifteen years ago it shall go with me to my grave farewell my lost love for ever scarcely had tempest the bushranger and the woman marjorie left the mount than the storm increased in intensity and the dark thunderclouds sent down heavy showers of cold rain that swept the treetops in wind-blown sheets peals of thunder rolled among the muffling clouds too here and there rent with fierce and terrible flushes of pale light snow and sunshine sat by the fire discussing their plans for the future and had been so engaged for some time ere the absence of rain was observed where is rain at last snow asked looking around the cave in his bunk to have his cry out i suspect sunshine replied laughingly no and snow shook his head i am grieved about that boy long as we have been together his character is a mystery to me and i fear sadly he has met with wrong at the hands of tempest yes did you see how he fired up to-night i am hanged if i thought twas him but here he comes for goodness sake where have you been rain the boy addressed descended the rude steps by means of which the dwellers in the cave emerged into the outer world with a lantern in his hand his face was white and ghastly his clothes glistening with raindrops and his fair hair blown in tangles over his forehead where have you been 
I followed him, he said abstractedly, as he set the lantern on the table. Somewhere down there where they are gone is my home, and he knows where it is. If he does not tell me, I will tear the secret out of his treacherous heart. Sit down and dry yourself, boy, said Snow, as he made room for him by his side. You have been brooding here for years, until, I am sadly afraid, your mind is weakened. What object could Tempest have in hiding you here? Aye, what object? But he knows. Did you take the lantern out on the mount? Yes, but it would not show me the way. He knows every step in the dark. I have never been down and must wait for day. I shall find it in the day. You did a foolish thing to take out the lantern. You know the bell rock can be seen from the track. It would be a pity if now that we have decided on abandoning this lawless life, your carelessness should bring the police on us. It was Snow who spoke, and he spoke anxiously, while, as if to confirm his fears, the bell of the mount once again rang out suddenly. It was this peal which Tempest had heard at the lodge as he bade his cousin Ina farewell for ever. Sunshine and snow, and even rain, started to their feet and looked anxiously toward the stairs. "'What can it be? It must be Tempest,' Sunshine said. But Snow shook his head. "'Tempest would not ring,' he whispered. He might be wounded or hurt and unable to climb higher. But still the sailor shook his head as he took a coat from a peg and hastily donned it. I will go down and reconnoitre. Hark! Someone shouts. Hello! Hello! was certainly being repeated at intervals outside as Snow hurried up the stairs, but as certainly not in the tones of their leader. Who could it be that in the darkness and storm had discovered the secret of the bell? Snow carried no light, and the darkness on the mount was so intense that he could not have seen a lifted hand before his face but the way was familiar to him each step of the rocky descent having been trodden by him during many a night of darkness before on this particular night however the storm was such that as he turned the corner of that plateau with the steep rocky face where tempest had previously met the woman marjorie the wind almost carried him off his feet until he had gained the shelter of a boulder here he paused and listened when the hello help here was repeated almost at his ear "'Who is it needs help?' Snow shouted. "'However has a human being gained this elevation in this darkness and storm?' "'You may well ask,' replied the voice of a man. "'I don't know where I am, or how I got here, "'but it seems to me that I have travelled in such paths as few men have trodden before me. "'Surely you can give me shelter of some kind until the day breaks.' Something in the tones of the speaker fell upon Snow's ears with a shock of surprise that was stronger than the staggering wind, and he did not instantly reply. "'Why don't you speak?' the stranger went on, anxiously. "'You would not refuse the shelter of your roof to a dog on such a night, and there must be a habitation of some kind about, or whence the bell. I am able to pay you for any trouble I may give you, though I do not carry about me sufficient to tempt anyone to commit a robbery.' What could Snow do? If the voice was that he fancied he recognised, he would no more turn him away than he would put a knife in his own heart. Yet there was Tempest. What would he say to a stranger being entrusted with the secret of the cave, which had been so long a safe hiding-place? "'As you say,' he replied at last, "'it would be inhuman to refuse shelter on such a night as this, and so far from human habitation. Yet there are grave difficulties in the way. I can judge from your language that you are a gentleman. 
will you give me your word not to reveal to mortal the shelter i can give you if you are admitted to it ah i am among lawless men then yes of course i shall willingly give my word of honour to retain your secret i am incapable of that ingratitude which stings the hand outstretched to assist give me your hand and follow carefully and with the stranger's hand held closely in his snow remounted the dangerous footway almost in the very teeth of the fierce recurrent blasts that battled with them for every step in the shelter of the rock passage leading to the stairs he paused and let the traveller's hand go if you will stop here for a moment it will be better he said i must intimate the presence of a stranger to my mates and he quickly descended into the cave leaving the gentleman in the sheltered darkness boys it is a traveller who has lost his way and i have brought him up he said up here exclaimed sunshine why you must be mad what will tempest say you know he warned us that he might yet be glad of our hiding-place though the band was broken up sunshine i know this stranger i recognised his voice at once he has given me his word of honour not to disclose anything we wish concealed and one of his name never lied my lad it is captain ingersoll captain ingersoll oh snow what shall we do nothing let us wait the course of events only be cautious even if we are recognised you at least are safe i would not accept a safety which did not include you snow the lad said with a strange haughtiness which snow detected and seemed to admire as an unusual smile brightened his placid face hush i must go and bring in the wayfarer hark what a wretched night to be without even the shelter of a cave rain had listened to this exchange of words in silent wonder and watched with an unusual interest the descent of the unknown into the cave which had been his home for ten weary years sunshine's face flushed hotly as he stood where he was too proud to seek another position where he might have been less under the eyes of the man his friend had called captain ingersoll but when the traveller stood before the fire and shook the wet from his dripping hat snow turned slightly so that his lean profile was only to be seen in the red firelight and leaned one shoulder against the rough rock wall of the cave the captain was a fine-looking man of about forty in a riding costume with the addition of a loose overcoat which had alone prevented his being thoroughly drenched by the rain he had encountered his whiskers were slightly tinged with grey his hair light brown even amid the discomfort consequent on his wretched personal discomfort there was a sunny look of pleasant content in his handsome face and a softness not to say weakness in the expression of his grey eyes as snow still wrapped in the great coat and wearing his hat low helped to divest his guest of the damp attire and replace it with dry articles from his own wardrobe the gentleman gave some little explanation of his strange position i reached s on my way to quaramba at noon to-day just too late for the coach and finding no vehicle procurable i determined to hire a horse and ride my time being limited well somehow or other i got off the track under the mountain here and when the fury of the storm broke i dismounted with the intention of putting myself and the animal under the shelter of a rock the result was he broke from me and bolted at the next flash of lightning i don't know what i should have done had i not seen your light up on the face of the mount and made my way toward it desperately by the way was it you who rang that bell no you must have rung it yourself by accidental pressure in your scramble snow returned gravely it has been a secret signal of our leaders 
and we have your word of honour that it as such shall be kept by you. Certainly. Ah, it is the mystery bell of Mount Battery, then. You have heard of it. I have heard it once before tonight. I am captain of the ship Argonaut, and was up at Quarumba about six years ago to see my sister, Mrs. Vivian, of the lodge. I remember hearing it ascribed to supernatural influences. The lodge? The exclamation was from Rain, to whom the name on that envelope, given him by the woman Marjorie, was of the deepest interest. Captain Ingersoll turned and looked toward the youth, who had seated himself near the table, and was leaning his elbow on it, and the look became a gaze of such intensity that the eyes of both snow and sunshine followed the stranger's. "'Who is this youth?' the traveller questioned. "'Surely I have seen him before.' "'Never, unless you have stood in this cave before,' said Rain. "'I have lived here for ten years. Thank heaven this is my last night in a place accursed of God and man.' Captain Ingersoll looked wonderingly, yet with genuine pity at the excited young speaker, and was about to speak when Snow put into his hand a glass of warm spirit to prevent any bad effects from his cold and wetting. Perhaps the simple act of hospitality recalled to his memory his promise to keep the secrets of his shelter to himself, or was it the sight of Snow's face that diverted his thoughts into a fresh channel? Snow had removed hat and coat, and stood before him calmly, with his usual face of thoughtful inscrutability. The stranger nearly dropped the glass he had just drained as he rose to his feet, "'Surely I must be dreaming,' he cried. "'All your faces are familiar to me. "'Why, you are John Caron, my lost mate.' "'Yes, and a deserter from the Argonaut. "'And this, heaven have mercy upon my senses, "'is this Percy Ingersoll?' Sunshine hung his head for a moment "'as the hot flush mounted to the roots of his fair curls, "'but in an instant after he lifted it defiantly to reply. "'Yes.' A deserter, too, from your Argonaut. Oh, foolish boy, for what? Have you never given one pitying thought to the poor father who so loved you, and who charged me, your uncle, with the safe keeping of his only son? What could I tell him when he asked me for the truth, that his son was a deserter from his ship, and a dishonour to his name? I have no name, the youth cried, and I do not claim yours. I am Sunshine, one of Bushranger Tempest's gang, and if you or my father do not own such relative, I do not ask you for a name. When you have been sheltered from the storm and fed, you can go and carry your news to England. Captain Ingersoll fell into his seat and buried his face in his hands, while Snow spoke firmly to the ill-disciplined youth beside him. Hush, Snow, do not add ingratitude to our other sins. And you, Captain Ingersoll, be lenient with the lad, for mine was most of the blame. I was stricken with the accursed gold fever and infected the lad. We were both mad, but I most of all. And the madness has cost me my own self-respect, a thing of more value to me than my prospects in life. I cannot plead for myself, but I can for the lad, Captain Ingersoll. The gang is disbanded. Take him with you ere it be too late, and let, at least, his share in my fault be forgotten. What do you mean by too late? the stranger asked quickly, as he raised his face. "'If you are released from your late career of crime against the laws, what do you mean by too late?' "'I mean that we do not know, and have not known for years, the moment the police may be on our track. From their hands it would be too late to rescue your nephew.' "'Let us go this instant,' 
cried Ingersoll, rising to his feet and rapidly beginning to resume his own wet clothes that were smoking before the fire. If you, Percy Ingersoll, have one sense of duty left, get ready to leave with me at once. You too, Caron. We will talk of it afterwards. But this young man, whose face is like an old dream to me, who is he? An innocent and unwilling member of our band, to whom our leader has done some great wrong. You will come with us, Rain? Snow asked. No, I will not go with you. I shall stay until Tempest returns, and wring the truth from him, or he dies. Why should every one but me have friends and a name? I have neither. I shall wait for Tempest. In vain, Snow and the now subdued sunshine tried to argue and plead. Nothing but force could have removed the excited and vehement youth, who, with his usually pale face flushed with fever, and his eyes flashing with fierce determinations, repeated his declaration, I will not go. I will wait for Tempest. I am here, Rain. What do you want of me? Every eye turned toward the late leader as he descended the steps and stood upon the floor of the cavern. His face was haggard, his tones low, his air depressed and gloomy. As he found his way in darkness and storm to his hiding-place among the rocks at Mount Battery, he had met death face to face in the seldom-failing prescience of one over the thread of whose fate the scissors of Atropus was suspended. The fierce blasts that met him were unheard and almost unfelt. He was in the summer of his youth at his fair cousin Ina's feet, with a love so untouched by sin in his innocent heart that it had survived to save him now at the dark river he was about to launch on. What he had refused to the dying girl's faltering plea, he granted now to the memory of a pale face he would never see again, and the fond throbs of a heart that would soon cease to beat. "'I am here, Rain. What do you want of me?' "'What have you robbed me of? I want the home and friends you stole from me. I know you did. The memory of a woman's face haunts me in my dreams. Who was that woman but my mother? You have called me Rain, because my heart would not cicatrise but yielded pained blood at every fresh touch of your cruel tongue. But I have another name. What is it, Bushranger Tempest? Tempest looked pityingly at the pale face of his ten years' victim, as he said softly, Poor lad. And then he turned to Captain Ingersoll, who watched him curiously and closely as he questioned. Is my face familiar to you, Captain Ingersoll? It seems so, but I appear to be in a dream. This boy's face seems familiar also. Who are you, and who is he? If you have done him wrong, let your conscience plead for him. Disentangle him from your hideous life, and restore him to the friends and home he dreams of. I am going to do so. Look at me, Captain Ingersoll. I am Ralph Vivian. It is a name that makes you shudder. The love of one fair woman has brought me to this. That woman was your niece, and my cousin, Ina Vivian. What provocation I receive, I leave you to learn too late. But go now. Ina is dying. Go and take her brother, Alroy Vivian, to his mother. As Tempest concluded, he laid his hand on Rain's shoulder. There, Alroy, I have given you back your home and your name. This is your uncle. Sunshine is your cousin. Your mother and sister await you with loving hearts. If you will sometimes remember Tempest forgivingly, it will do you no harm. And now, go at once, all of you. I have had certain intelligence that the police are on our track, and the locality of the cave discovered. But you, Tempest, we cannot leave you here, Snow said. You look ill. How can we desert you? 
you must go when they come i shall be far away shake hands snow you know there is no bloodstain there farewell farewell sunshine my lad god bless your happy heart captain ingersoll take them away ere it be too late his father's eyes look out of that boy's face and reproach me he sat down upon the seat he had occupied when dividing the spoil and three untouched little heaps of gold lay on the table where he folded his arms as a resting-place for his head for a moment the pale face of the bewildered rain was turned toward his late leader and then the boy advanced softly to the table and laid sovereign by sovereign the fourth heap of gold again upon the table then he went quickly up the steps without looking back he was the first who left the cave ralph said the captain it is my duty to see to the safety of my nephew but i do not forget yours are you certain that you can yourself assure it quite certain was the murmured reply but tempest never raised his head or face from his arms i must go with my uncle sunshine whispered softly good-bye tempest but some day we shall meet again i always liked you tempest and some day i shall find you out again now the white face was lifted and tempest's eyes looked sadly into his favourite mate's yes some day he said as he pressed the young firm hand only i pray god it may be long first my boy farewell snow was the last i have no friends tempest come with me it would be folly to stay here if the cave is discovered let you and i seek safety together it cannot be go and forget you have ever seen me snow thanks for your faithfulness but it cannot be i must finish my course alone you are not contemplating suicide tempest snow asked you would not be such a coward as that no i shall not do myself that crowning wrong but i am ill mate there's a clutch at my heart that tightens my race is nearly run go my friend to satisfy yourself you may tell marjorie at the lodge to come to me if you will farewell snow and fully determined to return at all risks snow was the last who mounted to the outer air of the night the storm had passed as sunshine led their silent way down the mount after a few words of explanation from the captain their destination was the lodge at quarumba and as they reached the more level ground nothing was left of the wildness of early night save the broken hurrying clouds over the face of a cold moon and the moan of dying winds among the tossing branches of dripping trees when snow's form disappeared from the steps of the cave tempest's head fell once more upon his arms the great fire fell in blazed up and dropped into a heap of glowing embers and the natural damp of the cavern asserted itself as the dying heat gathered around the dying fire outside the clouds passed one by one and left the cold moon's face unveiled while the sighing wind barely rustled the trailing lichens on the mount battery rocks the oil in the huge lamp burned low and the shaded gleam flickered on the little heaps of gold and the disordered hair of the silent bushranger who sat so still and heeded none of his silent surroundings did the lonely man think of his wasted life and the wrong he had done to his fellow-men did the face of his dead uncle reproach him or the bitter words of his widowed aunt make the end hard to bear or was ina's face as he knew it ten years ago and ina's voice and loving words as he had heard it in his happy youth the last of his memories ere he slept who can answer even i who wander invisibly on the wings of imagination can only tell that hours had passed and morning was drawing near greyly 
when suddenly, in deep reverberations, the strong tones of the hidden bell rang through the cave, not one, two, three, but a jubilant, continuous peal that ceased as suddenly as it had begun. Then the white, awful face of a dying man was slightly lifted, and a faint smile struggled with the growing stiffness upon his drawn lips. "'The bell of Mount Battery,' he murmured. "'Ina will hear that, and pray for Ralph.' and then the white face was hidden again. Yes, Ina heard it. She was lying on the couch where her cousin had left her, with her head on her mother's breast, and one hand of her recovered brother Alroy's in her nerveless clasp. Marjorie was weeping silently at the head of the couch. Captain Ingersoll and Snow stood at a little distance in sympathetic silence. Ina's eyes were closed. Her breath was low, but she murmured softly, "'I do not leave you alone, dear mother.' You have Alroy. And then came the sudden peal of the mountain bell, a long and joyous peal, ere it was silent for ever. The bell of Mount Battery, the dying girl cried as she opened her eyes. May God pity and forgive poor Ralph. And then the soft eyes closed for ever also. Well, no policeman after all discovered the bushranger's well-hidden cave. It was Snow and Marjorie, who, at early dawn, stole again up the mountain, and found Tempest sitting as Snow had left him, but cold and dead. Had an inquest been held on the poor remains, there would have been a verdict of heart disease, but no inquest was held, and no one, save Marjorie and Snow, knew the place of his grave. They laid him softly on the sandy floor of the cave, where he doubtless sleeps well and untouched by the finger of the outraged law. Snow as he walks the quarter-deck of Captain Percy Ingersoll's late sunshine ship, often thinks of Tempest, and on stormy nights when the ship's two bells is rung out in the darkness, Sunshine is reminded of the mountain bell, and will speak of it to his lieutenant. Do you think it is true that, as Alroy tells us, the bell is still heard when the night is dark and the winds blow? And Snow shakes his head at the superstitious belief, for he knows that with his own hand he broke the spring of the bell of Mount Battery, and let it fall into its rocky bed, where it may be rusting in silent decay to the present day. Rain and his mother have left Corumba, and found a home in England, where the faithful Marjorie is their right hand, but Alroy never fully got over the effects of ten years' crushing loneliness. He is still a moody and melancholy young man, with the impressions of his youth so strong upon him that he often starts from sleep at the fancied sound of the mountain bell, with cold dew on his face and a flutter of fear at his heart. End of story.